Alright, and welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the Coruscant Pulse. This is episode number 56 for January 22nd, 2017, and we are exactly 326 days away from episode 8 hitting theaters, even though we don't know what it's called. And with me, as always, is James and David. Hi everybody, how's it going? Once again, Dave starts with a question, but uh, who else here is pumped that we're, we're, uh, we're 326 days away from episode 8? I mean, I, I'm not yet. I will probably start getting excited probably when we hit the 250 mark because that's probably when we're going to start getting little snippets of information again uh, about what episode uh, about what episode 8 is really going to wind up being. I, I admit I get pumped whenever we have our first episode after a release. I mean, this is only the second time we've had this now. But it's like we're less than 365 days away from a new Star Wars movie. I know. Uh, for me, that's super cool. Yep. Well, the the rumor mill, according to internet rumors, which are always trustworthy, uh, we should <laughs> be getting something around the Super Bowl. Those are official rumors. We we are. We're getting twenty four <laughs> legacy. Official rumors. Well, wait. About twenty four legacy. Is that has that already started, or is that coming out right after the Super Bowl or something? Le- literally on Fox after the Super Bowl is twenty four legacy. What is Twenty Four Legacy? It's twenty. It's the TV show Twenty Four without uh without uh Jack Bauer. Yeah, it's basically like there's a new Jack Bauer type of character who needs to go troubleshoot things that happen within twenty four hours. Apparently, it's getting decent reviews already. Like everyone's like all the pre release people are all like, "Wow, this is actually not bad." To bring it back to Star Wars, I think that that would be a pretty cool show as well. Like even though it would probably wind up being executed rather poorly because it is based off of a not an original premise but can you imagine if there was like um an imperial agent show or something like that where it was this imperial agent who had to troubleshoot like rebel attacks within 24 hours or like a starport explodes you know what would even be really cool if they did something like uh it happens a couple times in the eu where the characters are on like a hijacked ship uh kind of similar to speed in some ways and then you would have you know one character trying to stop whatever was going on could be an interesting premise we'll never see it though i'm sure pretty sure because yeah fox fox isn't the group that distributes that are they no they are aren't they fox does 24 oh but in terms of the movies it's no longer 20th century fox is it i don't think so disney I think they still have distribution rights for New Hope, but I'm not sure on that. Got it. Because, yeah, like, now Disney's their own company, so they can always put things out that way. Well, even if they even if they own it, they might not own the rights to, to do that. Oh, okay. Because, like, I just, you know, Metallica, they just officially bought their music catalog back, like, this year. They never owned it. Wow. Yeah. And, like, like Paul McCartney... Like Licensing yeah. is crazy. And like yeah. X-Men, X-Men is owned by Fox or Sony, and that's part of Marvel. So like when they did Deadpool, they had to pay royalties to allow two of the X-Men to appear in Deadpool and to allow the Spider and allow Spider-Man to appear in the Avengers, they had to pay royalties to make that happen. Yeah, which Fox is Sony and uh, uh, their Marvel movies, the Spider-Man ones, were never really that good. Yeah. 
But, uh, so yeah, so what are we going to talk about Star Wars related today? I see we got some notes here on, uh, oh, great, Grand Admiral Thrawn, yay! Do you not like Grand Admiral Thrawn? Liked him back in, like, 1999. But, uh, so what's happening? Is the book finally coming out, uh, rewritten uh, by Timothy Zahn? Not yet, but Timothy Zahn, uh, has written, it seems like, enough of the story and has enough of the story lined up where penguin random house released synopsis for the book is going to be so there's a couple of interesting things here um if you if you have a chance you know if you google for you know synopsis for thrawn uh you should be able to find it without too much trouble uh and it looks like there's a number of tie-ins both to star wars rebels and to his old eu backstory as well uh, one of the biggest ones that has not changed is the fact that Admiral Thrawn, or Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, is exiled from his own people. Because that, that, that used to be what his backstory was as well, right? Yeah. He was... He did something bad. I think he attacked somebody without provocation or some sort of shenanigans, and his people exiled him. Yeah, uh, they don't tell us why he was exiled at this point, just that he was. Um, and then it goes on to kind of like, you know, his standard uh, his standard shtick about who Thrawn is, and that is that he is he has a deadly ingenuity, keen tactical senses, uh, and that he captures the attention of Emperor Palpatine. And at the same time, he proves to be as indispensable to the Empire as he is ambitious, uh, as devoted as Darth Vader, and a brilliant warrior in his own right. Which, uh, that's one question I have, because we, we've we started to see that a little bit in Star Wars Rebels. Um, I'm actually a couple episodes behind, so I only know this through the trailers and some other reviews of the show that I've been watching. But was the old Grand Admiral Thrawn, like, a martial arts kind of guy? Nope. Like, d did he ever get his own hands dirty at all? I don't remember him getting his hands dirty. It doesn't mean he ain't, but I don't remember it. Tom, how about you? I do not remember, no. It's been a long time. Okay, because in in Rebels, and it sounds like from the description here in the synopsis, uh, Thrawn's going to be a little bit different in that way. It looks like Thrawn is actively going to be a guy that gets in the mix and mixes it up. Uh, in Rebels, you actually see him uh, dueling a number of droids or something like that. And one of the explanations I've heard is that he learns various martial arts um, that his opponents know uh, to better understand their philosophy around fighting, about what they protect, about what they attack, about how they do both of those things. Which, overall, is a neat little wrinkle into his character, I think. It's just definitely different from what we had before. Very different. The other piece that's, that you know we also kind of see in Rebels that I can kind of see here, uh, going back to kind of the exile, is that we do see him at times lose his cool when he is faced with stupidity. And I was wondering, is that something that also happened in the old Thrawn or no? I feel like not stupidity. He, he used teaching moments a lot. You know, he whenever somebody did something that was not stupid, but just like they could have done better, he used it to teach them why. You know, he seemed uh, like a okay. tactical teacher. Okay, that seems to, in my mind then, to be one of the bigger changes between uh, Old Throne and New Throne. 
the new Thrawn seems to be far less of a teacher uh, than he is a, you know, than he is kind of an ex- an executor in his own right. Like he he he's less, and I don't know if maybe it's just because he's in a different situation where you know he's still trying to get to the top as opposed to you know in the old EU he hit the top and uh you know he needed to make everyone else stronger whereas right now he's still trying to climb that ladder but yeah he he has sent people to their deaths purposefully because they were being idiots he has nearly strangled an imperial officer because he was being a moron uh and and other things like that which seemed to be a little bit different Hmm, I don't know if I like that. That might just be what I get out of Rebels, because in the book Thrawn, it looks like he is still going to be a teacher. Um, Specifically, it calls out the name of his aide, who he trains in the arts of combat and leadership and the secrets to claiming victory. A uh, specific Ensign Eli Vanto. And then uh, there's there's another piece here, though, that after they talk about how he trains Eli Vanto, that there are a weakness that he has, which did not appear to be a weakness in the old EU. And that was that even though Thrawn dominates the battlefield, he has much to learn in the arena of politics where ruthless administrator of Rinda, oh, sorry, where ruthless administrator of Rinda Price holds the power to be a potent ally or a brutal enemy. Because in the old EU, it sounded like not only he, Thrawn was not only a master of martial art or not martial arts well i guess the martial arts of you know strategic warfare uh strategy tactics uh espionage uh he was also an expert at politics as well uh am i remembering that correctly i think he had a pretty good handle on politics if i remember correctly yeah so i kind of like that change if it is a change where you know hey yes he is not this perfect blue man there are there are specific flaws to him and reasons for those flaws. And one of the one of the other pieces that's going to be kind of interesting is that you're going to apparently see all of this because the book Thrawn is apparently mostly going to be around destroying an insurgent uprising that threatens not only innocent lives, but also the Empire's grip on the galaxy. So the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> sort of. Um, so this is something that I think I mentioned before on the episode that we first talked about Thrawn coming back into Rebels and how his appearance was. And specifically the fact that, you know, Callus mentioned that he put down a rebellion in a certain sector that his fleet was stationed in. I'm nearly positive that this book is going to cover specifically that time period because it is after the events there that Governor Arinda Price actually requests specifically to have Thrawn reassigned to the Lothal sector by, uh, uh, what was it, Grandmoff Tarkin or Governor Tarkin. Potato, potato. I'm cautiously optimistic for this one. I think it's really going to give us an interesting, again, look into what the what the new empire is and is like. You know, does Thrawn actually have to deal with, you know, speciesism? How far? Does. How far does the well? As of yet, I have yet to see that happen. I know. 
And, you know, it's one of those things of, you know, are there preferred species or something like that? Does he get a pass because he's near human? Does that potentially mean that maybe Zeltrons get a pass if, if he is? Or is he just that strong of a character where he lets that happen? But I think what's really going to wind up making or breaking this novel is the other perspectives and points of view that we are almost certainly going to get. Because that's a thing that happens on the fairly regular with the new Star Wars books. It's almost never just one person's story. Like There's always a cast around them and how well those other characters are introduced into the universe and how well they, they breathe life into that. Yeah, I can see that being a big deal because I mean, with some of these characters, you definitely if if the supporting cast isn't there, it's just not going to be a good book. Because Thrawn, in any of the books that Thrawn was in, it always didn't just focus on him. You always had supporting cast. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I feel like one of the reasons why the old Thrawn books were were good was because one, you still had the big three as you know viewpoint characters, which in some ways made everything a little bit easier. But then you also had uh, Pelion, who doesn't exist anymore, as kind of a, a secondary viewpoint character. And so without those same old viewpoint characters, without that same dynamic that existed within the original uh, book, I'm not exactly sure how this one's going to go, especially from the Rebel Alliance side. Because, you know, it's one of those things What all of the Thrawn books... Yes, they centered much around Thrawn, but it was still a book about the Rebel Alliance and how the Rebel Alliance dealt with Thrawn, as opposed to how Thrawn dealt with the Rebel Alliance, if that makes sense. Yep. And so because of that, even though it is only a slight pivot and a slight shift, I still think that it's going to be, that's going to be really important to, to see. This is also notable for one other reason, and that the fact is, is that it is Timothy Zahn writing this book. And Timothy Zahn had not written a book in or about Star Wars in a while, it feels like. Uh, do you know what his last credit was? Uh, I, I can pull that up, but it wasn't that long ago, actually. Oh, really? Did he do one of the end uh, book things? He did a couple at the end. Yeah, it's looking like the last one. Oh, my God, I forgot all about this. Yeah, he did a. He, he wrote Scoundrels. He wrote back Scoundrels. In Choices that was of a One. Fantastic book. Choices of One, Allegiance. Uh, not too big a fan of those two, and also not a big fan of Outbound Flight. I liked Allegiance and Choices of One. Eh, I don't think I've read them. Honestly, like looking at this, I've only ever read one of his books, and that is specifically Scoundrels. That, that was a good book, though. You wait, you. you haven't read the Thrawn trilogy or the Hand of Thrawn. Nope. Nope, not at all. I know all about what happens in them, again, because of books like The Essential Guide to Planets and The Essential Guide to Vehicles and Weapons and The Essential Guide to Characters, The Essential Guide to Warfare, and so on and so forth. Did I ever mention that I had every Essential Guide and every new Essential Guide? You, you did. That's where a lot of my knowledge about Star Wars wound up coming from in some way. I, I just don't know how to talk to you right now. You've made me sad, Dave. Why? You you didn't read Thrawn's best books. I, it's, again, because I'm not an Imperial fanboy like you and Tom. I was quite alright, you know, just not not knowing much about Thrawn. Because, you know, the Empire never interested me in that way. 
Like, it does now, but the perspective that it interests me from now is very different from where I feel like your interest was in there. I just, uh, still, I, I'm sad now, Dave. I'm really sad. Oh, it happens. It's like you just killed a puppy. What, just because I don't worship at the altar of the Empire? Yes. I think something that's going to be really interesting is what's going to happen afterwards. Because, you know, they're bringing Thrawn back. And I keep thinking to myself, what other villain or, you know, Imperial character would I want brought back? Do you have anybody that you want brought back, James? Aside from Thrawn? Pelion. Uh, he's it, the only reason why I think it's impossible for Pelion to happen is because if he's not getting brought back with Thrawn, he's not getting brought back. I know that. I know. But it's still, that's like the only other Imperial I would really want brought back. Dala never interests me. Uh, your Admiral of the Week, Super Laser Weapon people never interest me. You know, I think I would like to see someone like Zinge back. Because Zinj was kind of unhinged in a way that would be great to see. <laughs> An unhinged uh, Imperial Warlord. Okay, I could see that. Absolutely. Because I feel like that's something that we're partially missing right now. Because it's also like, it also doesn't matter when you set him. Like, I'd be okay to set him in the dark times. Like, make him like be a kind of a wildcard Imperial, another wildcard Imperial Admiral. Especially if they don't want to mess with the timeline in between uh, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. I could see that. Because I think Zinj also would be an interesting choice because of the way that he approaches problems. It's not perfect. You know, as opposed to Thrawn always picks the perfect solution to the problem. Well, I mean, duh. Whereas Zinj doesn't know what the perfect solution to the problem is. So he picks a solution. <laughs> he just wings it. In a lot of... Well, he thinks it through, but he also flies off the handle. No. But I think, you know, it's really one of those things where I think Zinj would be an interesting other character to bring back. Now, uh, man, I wish that you were watching Rebels because I had a question about specifically Isard that I wanted to check with you on. I mean, I haven't watched Rebels. I will say I, um, I, I finished the first episode of Clone Wars. Wait, just the first one? I, I've been busy. I finished the first one. Oh my god, there's so much more that you need to watch. Hey, I'm starting, okay? Okay, so Orinda Price, I in many ways feel like she is honestly, in a lot of ways, a reskinned Isard. With a couple of changes. Okay, why is that? Um, because of the type of character she is. She is an absolutely brutal administrator. She is smart. She is intelligent. She uses whatever tool she has on hands to to wreck people. And I guess, I guess for me, the big thing is is that whenever I see her do anything, the thing that pops into my head what Isark would do. It is cold, it is calculating, she is not a joyful character, and she is just someone who like, pushes things. And she and she's for the Empire. Now, you know, there's a lot of other stuff about Isart that's not in her, but honestly, like, 
I'm talking about like the core and like what is that core. And to me, Isard's core was always cold calculation. So I guess in some ways when I see Imperial female characters that are cold calculation, I think that they feel like a reskinned, you know, Isard. On the other hand, you take, if it's a cold calculating Imperial male, a lot of times I think, ah, this is somewhat in terms of either Thrawn or Tarkin, depending on how they bend. I would agree. Isard was typically a cold calculating person. And she also, in my eyes, one of the big things is she was very Imperial, right? Like... Everything was for the Empire, not just for her. At least that's the way I felt. Say that again, please. I feel like everything Isard used to do was... It wasn't all predicated on what was best for her. Like, what... She was really trying to do right by... Well, in her mind, right by the Empire. Of course, she got some gratification and good things out of it. But I never got the impression that she just was doing it to do it. Yeah, no, same here. Like, there's always an objective and a goal. It's not, she's not a mustache twirling style evil. Like, she's she's the cold, bureaucratic evil, if that makes sense. Yep, totally, totally. She She was cold, calculating, and did everything for a reason. There was always a purpose. Yeah, and that is, you know, one of... One of the really, I feel, interesting things about her is that she also gets her hands dirty in a way that you may not expect a governor to get their hands dirty. Like, she personally conducts interrogations and torture uh, in one of the Rebels episodes where uh, they infiltrate a imperial, um, what's it called? They infiltrate an imperial flight academy, which is where Wedge and Hobby are, and then they, they get captured, and she one set the trap for for the cadets when they tried to break out and two conducted the interrogations personally afterwards although she did get beat by a mandalorian yes she did it wasn't like it was a bad beat she she had she had sabine on the ropes for a little while (laughs) just a bit i would have to look it up specifically but repeatedly isard is is mentioned as being a really cold you know cruel kind of character and those are same personality traits that i see in orinda price granted those are kind of like excellent characteristics for a villain to have so hey it works so it's not like a bad thing that i'm saying that you know she feels a little bit like a reskinned Izzard, or rather i guess as opposed to reskinned i should say reimagined yeah it's more of a reimagining i think yeah exactly I will say I'm I'm uh I'm happy that you're not getting stereotyped, right? Like they're not just doing certain characteristics for female characters in the new canon and certain characteristics for male characters. They're kind of universally messing around with them all. Yeah, you know, I think that is I know I don't think it's something that Tom appreciates very much, but something that I definitely have appreciated is that sometimes it feels like they tossed all of this into a all of the characteristics into a blender, spun it around, and just saw what saw what stuck. And, oh yeah, you know sometimes good stuff stuck, and it's you know I don't know it's it's interesting. I'm really going to be intrigued when they put out some essential books for the new canon, if they do put any essential books out for the new canon. 
uh, to learn a little bit more about imperial structure and hierarchy and how things overall worked in the Imperium. Because it seems both more and less bleak than it did in the old EU, where people, for the most part, if you stuck through it, you knew that what you were doing was bad, but it was the thing that was done. I'm hoping, I think we'll get some more essential guides. I mean, they're still pulling out the ultimate visual dictionaries and such like that. I'm sure we'll get some. Yeah, I hope so. So do I. I actually do enjoy all of them. I don't own all of them, but I own quite a few. Yeah, I'm actually, I think that's actually probably my biggest gap in the new canon stuff that, I don't know, I'm trying to decide whether or not to fix it. And that is my absolute lack of any of the visual guides. Because those, in a lot of ways, are the set dressing pieces that the story group has created. Like, they're not really important to the story, or they're not supposed to be important to the story, but they're the pieces that flesh out, you know, what the universe is, what the world is. Uh, I, I, did I pick up one of them? I have the Force Awakens one. I mean, it flushed it out, but I felt like it was underwhelming. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what they are. Like, a lot of these things, they're... <laughs> what, what what were you expecting from it? Well, to be fair, it was picked up for me, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just it, it was not like the old essential guides, and I know that wasn't what to expect, but I was hoping. But yeah, I mean, I I was expecting it to be more like the old DK things, which is what they are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how could you expect something from the on the level of the essential guides? I I was hoping for something different. Okay, that's fine. You can hope. <laughs> oh, but man, I don't know. It's it's all kinds of crazy right now. How's how's Mr. Tom? Tom? Oh, Thrawn and Rebels! Yay! Yay! Are you not excited at all for this one? Considering it is Timothy Zahn writing a new Star Wars book, you know, because you talk about you know bringing in good writers like guys from the old EU. Why don't they just have them write books? And this is specifically them him writing the book about Thrawn. Yeah, but it's him. This is, I've already seen this character. Yeah, this is a new version of it. I'm more interested in like an interview with Timothy, Timothy Zahn and coming up with uh, why he decided to rewrite something he already written. Uh, granted, he's, this is just focusing on Thrawn and not uh, the story that was around him, but I'm more interested in learning that than I am a new Thrawn story. I'd like to see him do something wholly new. You know, I, I, I gotcha. really want to see something brand new as opposed to rehash or rewrite or reboot of a character. I think this is his fan service. And hey, and if you're a fan and you were aching for this, go for it. But uh, I have no interest. Okay. So I, I guess that a quick question then is how do you want characters brought back then overall? Like if people do bring back old EU characters. I uh, imagine I'd pro sit, approach it with the same malaise I'm kind of approaching this. I mean, I don't really care. I'm probably not going to read it or pay any attention to it. So I I, I want new stuff by good authors and uh, not getting that. And, uh, you know, so, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I've ever... I mean, granted, for me, this is brand new because I've never read any of the old Thrawn books. So to me, this is effectively a new character. <laughs> Damn it, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, it's just, it's, it's just my taste. I'm not into this, so. Hey, that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm just going to abstain. Yeah. Although, you know, one, though, it's one thing I would really like. When you do find, like, an announcement for a book that does make you excited, 
let me know because like that will be a fun one to to actually talk about tom excited for a star wars book i would love to see that yeah i know oh, right? that's what i that's <laughs> what i but you know tom's tom's sitting there like damn it so would i you know they keep you know none of the new books i mean we're they're not setting up the political climate of these new movies or, you know, or if they do, it's 10 years before and you're getting little tidbits. I want a book to tell me something and to go in a completely new direction instead of uh, what feels like being jerked around by what's come out. I hear Yeah, because I, I guess that's one of the several reasons why you really dislike Aftermath. And that is that it it's not really a setup for the new force awakens movies because it is set so far in advance of what's going on. Yeah. And even blinds too, it just didn't have anything that, uh, they could really dig into from a force awakens perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it, it does explain why Leia isn't part of the galactic Senate anymore, but that's literally it. It doesn't really help flesh out any of the other context that happens around that. Maybe yeah. maybe we'll see some more in episode eight, but honestly, I I probably wouldn't hold my breath for it. And I didn't like what they did with her. And like I said, you don't even know what planet she represents. That's how weak yeah. that book was. But yeah. Anyway, so moving on to something that I believe, in our opinion, did not suck. Uh, Rogue One uh, looks like it's starting to come to the end of its run, uh, and it looks like there was an announcement that. It looks like they are going to get over five hundred million dollars uh, for Rogue One uh, on its by its thirty second day of release, uh, which will tie it with Avatar. Although it's going to, it looks like show up around two hundred twenty five million dollars short domestically in some way. But on the other hand. It does look like it's probably going to hit $1 billion worldwide. Boom. However, remember how Donnie Yen and Jiang Wen were given really big roles in in uh, Rogue One? Oh, you mean how Lucasfilm was pandering to the Chinese market? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, um, so Force Awakens made $124 million in China, and Rogue One, it looks like is going to end up around 52 million. Ouch. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it simply like it dominated other markets for the most part, but China just does not care for Star Wars evidently. And that's okay, they don't have to. It, it does strike me as a little bit weird because like a Disneyland Shanghai like has a whole ton of stuff dedicated to Star Wars. And it's just like, yeah, that none of that apparently matters. Well, part of me wonders, I mean, China's different. I mean, the other population, what are they? They're on par with us, or are they like a couple or a hundred million over? <laughs> Did you really just ask that? I don't know what their population's at. I know India's at around a billion. Uh, We're at like, what, 320? What are they at? Uh, India is 1.19 billion. Uh, China is 1.34 billion. And the U.S. has 311 million. So they have about, they almost triple our size. Just because, a bit. Because, yeah, they're at 1.34 billion. We're at 311 yeah. million. Yeah, I get the math. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, 
I just don't know what they're at. Well, yeah. I mean, how many theaters do they have? Do they have, like... In the big cities, there's a lot of them. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you know, you go into the countryside, and you're not going to find theaters. But, you know, you're, you'll see them in Shanghai. You'll see them in Beijing. You'll see them in uh, probably Chengdu. And, and a lot of the larger cities around in China, the movie's playing. It's just, I don't know if it's... I think it's just the kind of story that Star Wars tells is not what they what they're really looking for, I guess. As long as they don't try to specifically pander to the one market, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Honestly, like the thing I hope this does, like the fact that it did fall flat, is I hope that that means that they just focus on making a decent film because I I wonder if that actually was the thing that kind of pissed them off, which was that you're pandering to us and that that I'm not bothering to watch this film then because I assume that since you need to pander it was shit because Force Awakens did fairly well there you know 100 million that's no slouch in the Chinese market for a foreign film and remember these are foreign films doesn't the uh, Transformer movies don't they do really well there for some fucking reason they specifically do them and the World of Warcraft film did great in China really I heard that movie sucked it did not do well here in the states. It did fantastic abroad. I, yeah. I think they. I don't know. Maybe in China they more mysticism and than like a straight up action movie or something. And this movie really didn't have a whole lot of mysticism. Mysticism. Transformers. Transformers. Ah. Transformers is a large explosion over the course of an hour and a half. No, it's multiple large explosions. Yeah, so I, I don't know where you're getting that from. But, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Different cultures have different tastes and what they're interested in seeing. And it could just be that Star Wars just does not do it for Chinese culture. Granted, there's Chinese Star Wars fans, absolutely. It's just not, it's not the zeitgeist in a lot of ways that it is here in the States. And in a lot of other countries as well. Again, that's okay. Just give us a good movie. Exactly. And, and that is what I'm hoping is going to be the end result of this, which is that, okay, now just focus on grabbing the characters that you need and you want to tell the damn story. Granted, with the Guardians of the Wills and the like, the more I learn about them, the more I, I am okay with them being kind of like Donnie Yen and Jiang Wen. Like, I thought that their performances were fine. Like, I had issues overall with what I thought the characters would be. But the more that I learn about the wills, it's just like, okay, that's fine. You know, it's an alternative force tradition in a lot of ways. That's cool. I'm I'm game with introducing a new one of those. Hell yeah. But yeah, eh, that's weird. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just because of the amount of theaters. Because I was thinking, why don't they go after the uh, Indian market if there's a billion of them? But they like their type of film. Uh, they have their own, you know, the Bollywood craze. And then oh, you yeah, got to think, okay. Yeah, if their infrastructure-wise for that is it geared towards us or not? You know. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that China China makes kind of like similar in some ways films to to the U.S. and the like in terms of like you know how they do their big action pieces and action movies, and you can see some of them on Netflix and the like. But when you run into like biggest movies in China are probably a lot of the uh, historical historical action films, honestly, like things about, you know, the romance of the three kingdoms and the like, those are, those are 
big important films like uh i'm blanking on his name but there was a two-part film series called red cliffs which was incredible and awesome and that did incredibly well in china oh yeah i forget uh who the star was of that there were a couple that was tony that was an ensemble cast again yeah i think tony leung was a big one in those of hard-boiled fame i admit to knowing nothing about them and did you say tony leung yeah yeah tony leung uh was one of the major characters in it um you also had takeshi kaneshiro Zhang feng yi chang chen uh jiao wei uh hu jun uh shido nakamura and lin chi ling well, they got some uh, Japanese actors in there. That's why yeah. I thought they hated each other. Like, we hate uh, them. <laughs> uh, Fucking whoa. dirty commies. Well, it's one of those things, you know, they have to... They, there's a lot of crossover, I feel like, in a, in a significant number of these films. But yeah, Oh, yeah, I'm joking. Yeah, Tony Leung had one of the bigger roles because uh, he was Zhou Yu. Uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro was Juge Liang. Um, so major, major character there. But yeah, no, it was overall like that. That is a great movie. And in some ways it feels like like I I don't often feel like that that's very different. But the important thing there is that the film itself like relates more to to what they know and recognize because the thing is rogue one and maybe this is the benefit of the force awakens the force awakens required you to know jack and shit about star wars to go and see because star wars the original movies and you know even episode one and the like you know they didn't they, they got play in china I, actually i don't think star wars got play in china but episode one the like did but you know, you're talking about Rogue One being this excellent lead into Episode 4. Well, if you haven't seen Episode 4 and never cared to bother to go find a copy of Episode 4, because who knows if like what the translation quality on something like that is, you know, why would you bother? Yeah, and some foreign films you're watching and then some parts will just get weird because it will uh it will fall apart because of the translation even if it's dubbed or uh, subtitled you'll be like wait what the fuck is going on i can think of a couple movies that stop making sense at certain points absolutely yeah and and like translation quality is a big thing yeah there were a couple of chinese yeah chinese japanese and some even from uh any any anytime you get out of the uh, uh western languages there uh, like a couple Russian films I saw that were just like, what the fuck are they talking about? That might just be because it's a Russian film. Japan, too. Japan, mostly. Dos Vidanya, comrades. But yeah, I mean, that's all I have for this week. You guys have anything else you want to talk about? Hmm. Um, one thing that's kind of been floating around the interwebs, and I think it's mildly accurate. I know we've talked about how the um, Mon Cal ships of... Uh, they were luxury liners and such. I've actually found something that's more geared to that they're actually pieces of their cities. Yes, that that was confirmed. Like so, and this is kind of a neat thing that I found out recently too. Admiral Radiz, formerly Mayor Radiz, and the profundity was his goddamn city. Boom! <laughs> like they literally like put the engine on the city and just took off. All right, boys and girls, we're going away. It's a little insane. 
Yeah, I mean, granted, I think after they launched the ship and joined the rebellion and that kind of thing, they probably resettled civilians somewhere else. You would think that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I'm positive that they did. I'm teasing. But that, that gives a whole new meaning to home one. Wow, you are right. That's kind of neat if, if, that is the, if that is the case. Home one. I mean, it might have been the capital of the uh, whole world. Well, no, like yeah, in Clone Wars, you do see uh, the Mon Cal homeworld. Yeah, and it, it's a neat look too, especially when you when you get introduced to Akbar again, and that 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 was a good arc in my opinion. Also, because of Shark Man, I enjoyed Shark Man. It was a little goofy the fighting in that one. Just you know, it was it was a different arc, but yeah, it was a uh, I don't know, but yeah. It was it was cool to see it, but the uh, situation for why they were there was different. I, I really liked how they did the uh, Mandalorians in that one, though. That was interesting. Yeah, and and we're gonna get a lot more of that coming up soon because it seems like I don't know if the rest of the arc, but at least the next like four or five episodes of Rebels look like they are almost entirely Mandalore focused again, but specifically kind of like Death Watch style focused. I get it so confused with Warhammer 40k. <laughs> You're just like, wait, wait, is there a crossover? Are are they here to purge the Xenos? Are they a super Imperial hit squad? Yeah, Imperials better watch the fuck out. They're about to get killed by five guys. Oh, please, no. No, if, if, <laughs> if the Death Watch join aside, it's going to be the Empire. Not those heretics. They'll fucking purge them with bolter fire. Well, and their uh, whoa, spaceship whoa. churches. The Imperials may be converted and saved to recognize the light of the one true emperor. On the other hand, the rebellions, you know, deal with with dirty Xenos and suffer not the alien to live. Also, suffer not the witch to live. So actually, no, oh, they yeah. probably just like exterminate the entire galaxy. <laughs> yeah, they would. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, because I'm just like, well, you know, thinking about it. The Empire is led by what is effectively a, a witch psyker. And the Rebellion is, you know, are humans that willingly consort with Xenos. So, yeah. Yeah, Death Watch, Death Watch set up a field station there and then just have a field day. Eliminating every living thing in that galaxy and then stripping it for resources. Hey, Coruscant's almost a hive world already. They would just crash one of their broken spaceships into it and blow it up. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Or just bombard it while in the atmosphere. They would do something kick-ass. Or just send down 10 space marines and clean up the planet. Uh, space that, that's a That's a conversation for another time. Who would win in a fight, the Imperium of Man or uh, the Empire? The Empire would win, I'm sorry. Uh, always. What? Well, actually, no, no, that is correct. The Empire would always win. <laughs> the only question is the Star Wars or the Imper or the Warhammer 40k Empire. It depends. Does the Star Wars Empire have Death Stars? I wouldn't even care if they did. I think that the Warhammer 40k ones would would have it. See, I know nothing about Warhammer 40k. All all you need to know is that like they would like with the numbers that the Imperium of Men have, they're essentially like losing entire planets worth of populations as like a rounding error. Yeah, they uh, they lose like 10 planets a day and they gain 20. They don't really care. They are not above creating like like destroying entire solar systems for for purposes and reasons. 
Plus, the the big thing that I think switches it around and really tilts it towards the Imperials is the the difference between Psychers and Jedi. In that, you know, Jedi like manipulate reality. Psychers straight up break the damn thing. Yeah, and there's a lot more Psychers than there are Jedi. Yeah. Even in the golden age of the Jedi. Yeah. Plus, what's a what's a blaster gonna do against a space marine? I mean, shit. But and then there's also the fact that you know if you bring in psychers, then chaos is not far behind. <laughs> and I could definitely see like some of the psychers going rogue, uh, and and breaking a planet and creating a new uh, eye of terror. And uh, yeah, and then that'll bring all the fun chaos lords into play. Blood for the blood god. Yeah, they would do something like that. Even if the Empire would somehow manage to defeat him, they would uh, just open up a, oh, a, a giant hole in the warp, warp storm, eliminate all life in the galaxy. Have fun with these assholes. We're out of here. Plus, if any of the ships are coming from like an orc world and like some of the spores manage to survive the warp because Jesus Christ, those guys are already start budding on a planet, and you'll have orcs like daisies. <laughs> Well, we we went off the rails there. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, big time. <laughs> but maybe we should do that. Who would win in a fight? Star Wars versus, and then pick science fiction universes. I actually love that idea. All right, it's a stupid idea, but I, I'm thinking Star Wars would lose. I'm thinking like the Federation. The Federation would kick their ass. All right, that is one that I Warhammer 40k I don't would kick their that. ass. They would just teleport like a quantum torpedo on their bridge and that would be that well i guess i guess that <laughs> all right well we'll have to have that discussion later because like can they teleport through shields i believe that the answer was that they could not but they're smart they'll figure out that their shields can be penetrated at a uh, hyperspace speed so they'll manipulate that <laughs> their, uh... oh my god federation or fucking space wizards they'll figure it out all right, I've got to run, gentlemen. All right. Well, yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, you're excited for the new Thrawn book or you're not like me, let us know. Any other details you think we forgot, please let us know at our Facebook page at the Coruscant Pulse or Twitter handle at Coruscant Pulse and also our Gmail, CoruscantPulse at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We're sorry we took so long and uh, talk, start talking about nonsense there, but hey, these things happen. And uh, maybe we should go into it one week when we're bored just to debate the uh, no, maybe. stupid, stupid nuances <laughs> of a... Uh, a fun conversation but anyway until next time may the force be with you no maybe we have to do that for the emperor